Axios Pro Rocks, where we take just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. Sponsored by Bridge Bank. Be safe. Venture wisely. I'm Dan Mac. On today's show, the Trump Twitter feud escalates and a big tech CEO departure. But first, the end of U.S. megacities. So urbanization has been one of the most significant social and economic trends of the past decade. And in particular, the clustering of people into so-called U.S. megacities, where the only thing higher than the rents are the job opportunities, particularly in technology. But the coronavirus pandemic might be changing that equation as tech companies and their employees are beginning to embrace work from home as something that could remain in place even after a COVID-19 vaccine or therapy is widely available. Just some numbers to look at. In 2019, 90% of U.S. tech sector jobs were in just five cities, Boston, San Francisco, San Jose, Seattle, and San Diego, according to a Brookings Institute analysis. And my guess is that New York would have gotten thrown into the mix too if Brookings had looked just a year or two later or excluded biotech. But right now, big companies like Facebook and Twitter have already told employees that work from home is a permanent option, which could cause a lot of them to either move eventually to lower priced urban areas or to suburbs in other states. And it's really hard to see a tech company right now decide to build a giant new mega city campus or a big corporate headquarters somewhere. Again, for those jobs that can be done remotely. The bottom line, tech changed cities in America once and now might be doing so again just in a very, very different way. In 20 seconds, we'll go deeper with Axios Cities editor, Kim Hart. But first, this. The Equity Fund Resources Group at BridgeBank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Offering banking services for funds, partners, and their portfolio companies, BridgeBank's financial solutions are designed for the entire innovation ecosystem and include creative credit solutions, robust treasury and cash management capabilities, and a suite of international banking products. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be safe, venture wisely. We're joined now by Axios City's editor, Kim Hart. We have long talked and there's been lots of conversation about the overall urbanization trend, not just in the U.S., but globally. Is your argument here specific to people potentially leaving particular high priced cities like San Francisco or New York? Or is it that urbanization as a whole might start to wane? It's the former. I do not think that cities are dead by any means because of the pandemic. I think that people are just going to be making different choices about the types of cities that they live in. What I'm hearing from people who are looking at this from both a corporate development perspective as well as an economic one is that the remote work wave is going to give people more options about which cities they live in. So they may no longer have the need to live close to their corporate headquarters and be in Silicon Valley or San Francisco or Seattle or New York City, which of course are very expensive to live in, they now have the flexibility to work from anywhere. So they may choose to go to less expensive cities that still have a lot to offer, something like Austin or Denver or Atlanta or Chicago or Nashville. Now, I don't think that this is going to be a huge boon for smaller cities per se, because the big companies are still going to want to have satellite offices if they do open them in other kind of large cities that have robust economies, have a lot of amenities that workers want. Maybe they'll go to some college towns. And the commercial real estate experts that I've been talking to about this are pretty confident that companies will still be doing the bulk of hiring for talent that are in the top 20 to 25 markets. Facebook has obviously announced this. Twitter has announced this. They might have fewer people working at their headquarters, but you seem to be suggesting that those headquarters are still going to exist and still be vibrant places and not ghost towns. Why? 
look, these companies have put a lot of money into establishing these campuses. They're very iconic for them. They're kind of symbols of the corporate identity. I think there will still be enough of a reason to maintain those campuses and those big corporate headquarters because people will still need to come back and visit them, right? So say I currently live in San Francisco and I decide to move to Boise to be closer to family and remotely work. But in order to have some face time to still collaborate with peers, there's probably going to be an expectation that I travel back and forth you know, every month or so. So there's still going to be a reason to have a place for people to convene. Well, actually, so let me ask about that. Is that kind of the fundamental, I don't even want to say fallacy, but kind of say question. Like right now, a lot of white collar workers are working remotely because of the pandemic. But when you look at this going forward, if there is still value, in that face-to-face collaboration, if there's still stuff that doesn't work as well over video conferencing as it does in a physical office, is there no concern, whether it be Facebook or Twitter or a lot of these other companies, which are primarily tech companies, that they're making a fundamental error? It's one thing to be able to say, you can all keep working from home. That's an easy decision to make. It is much harder to tell you once you've moved to Boise to get yourself back. That's a really good point. And I think that this is a really fine line that companies are having to walk that they've never had to walk before, right? So one of the downsides of long-term remote work is that you start to lose that relationship capital that you've built up by working alongside people in a headquarters for months, if not years. You're able to lean on that right now as a remote worker to read each other's body language, to still be very productive in a Zoom call or a phone call. Now, the longer this continues and the more isolated people do get from their co workers. They don't have the same social outlets. They don't have the same casual interactions that they used to, you know, the serendipitous hallway conversations. That goodwill between coworkers that allows productivity to be relatively high now may start to break down. And I think that that's why I've heard a couple of different ways that this could go. Some companies may decide to wait and see where some of the talent starts to concentrate if the remote work does continue and does end up luring people over to different markets. And maybe they'll open some satellite offices in some smaller markets. Or I talked to Prudential and their vice chair told me that they actually think that they'll keep their headquarters in Hartford, Connecticut and in Newark, New Jersey. And people, if they decide to live in Charlotte, North Carolina, for example, they'll just fly up once a month or so to get the face time that they need. They'll just use that time differently than they would the time that they spend working from home. This is when I want to make a snarky comment about how anyone could ever consider leaving either Hartford or Newark, but I will refrain from both of those. There's another piece of this, which is kind of the perpetual motion machine of some of these cities like San Francisco and New York, which is this idea that when you have, say, a team of engineers or executives or workers at Facebook or at Google or some of these other places, when they leave to start a new company, they generally do it in the same city they were in before, because that's obviously where the three of them or the four of them live. And so for San Francisco, that's the reason that Google and Cisco have created so many other companies. And it's the reason why other smaller cities complain endlessly that how do we build the next Facebook? Well, it's hard because the people who were at the last Facebook aren't in your city. Could this help change that paradigm a bit? Because in theory, that group of engineers either will be just disperse somewhere else? That's a really good question. It could, or it could actually reinforce the idea that you need that agglomeration of talent in the industry in a similar place. The reason that Silicon Valley has supposedly been so successful so far. Now, when I spoke with Patrick McKenna, who uh, runs One America Works, and his goal is to try to help place Silicon Valley workers outside of Silicon Valley and other cities that have up and coming tech communities. And he said that part of the getting around that problem is cities have to boast their own tech worker communities. 
So it's still going to be the cities that are attracting those tech workers that are probably going to be the most successful in this next wave. It'll probably be the Austins, the Denvers, not going to be the cities that are kind of just starting from scratch in terms of building those tech ecosystem that is going to lure these workers away. It's going to be the cities where people can still go know that I can find connections with other engineers, other people who are working in my industries. So you will still need kind of some of that clustering of tech workers and industries and startups and investors to kind of still keep the ecosystem going. We've had conversations over the past couple of years about the fight for corporate headquarters. The big one was obviously Amazon HQ2, which was a massive story. Does this change that dynamic? In other words, it's one thing to fight for an Amazon warehouse because those people are never going to work remotely, right? But Amazon HQ2 or Facebook's East Coast headquarters or any of these conversations, does it not matter as much? Because the reason that cities fight for those is partially prestige, but it's more for the jobs. Right, exactly. And the reason that cities fight for those is because in their mind and what has typically been the case is if you lure a company to your city, then the workers will follow. If the workers can follow without the company headquarters being there physically in your city, then you don't need to necessarily have the city headquartered there. All you need to do is convince the workers that X city is a good place to live. Kim Hart, who is doing this from her home, which is just outside of a city. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Dan. My final two right after this. The Equity Fund Resource Group at Bridgebank is a central hub for the venture capital and private equity communities. Leveraging nearly two decades of expertise delivering solutions to emerging technology and growth companies, Bridgebank now offers services for funds, SBICs, and general partners, including creative credit solutions, robust treasury management capabilities, and a suite of international banking services. Bridgebank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. Be safe, venture wisely. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Trump versus Twitter, which has been the subject of our past two episodes. Several developments since we last talked. First, Trump did sign his promised executive order, which is aimed at limiting the legal protections that social media companies have from being sued over content on their platforms. Second, Twitter partially blocked a tweet from Trump about the protests over a police killing in Minneapolis, in which he threatened that looting will lead to shooting. Twitter users can still see the tweet, but only after a warning, and it can't be liked or shared. Finally, Axios reports that Senator Ted Cruz is calling for a criminal investigation into Twitter over the fact that it allows top Iranian officials to use the platform. And again, all of that stuff is before noon today. Who knows what'll happen this weekend? Finally, happy trails to Roni Abovitz, the co-founder of augmented reality startup Magic Leap, which raised over $3 billion in venture capital, but reportedly has only managed to sell single digit thousands of its initial headset. Business Insider is reporting that Abovitz is out without a replacement identified. It's unclear if his departure is voluntary or maybe even tied to Magic Leap's recent $350 million fundraising, which by the way, there is a stock certificate in Delaware about this. And for those of us who read these, this is the most inscrutable one I have ever seen. So since the company isn't explaining why the CEO is out or who its new investors are, we will just call that round one hell of a magic trick. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national paperclip day. And we'll be back on Monday with another Pro Rata podcast.